following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. would uh, open up in your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible in it. We are in Galatians chapter 2. We're looking at verse 15 and we're going to go all the way to the end of uh, verse uh, 20 or the end of chapter 2 which is verse 21. So Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to cover this chapter. We're going to move after this week into our Journey to the Cross series on Easter and so uh, we'll have the opportunity to hear next week from Craig Clapper and then uh, Palm Sunday baptisms and then actual Resurrection Sunday, uh, we're going to preach on the resurrection. So that just seems fitting and makes sense. Um, so Galatians chapter 2 is where we're at today, looking at verse 15. When starting to study this passage, I was reminded of a quote by John Bunyan. John Bunyan, you may know him. He wrote an interesting book called The Pilgrim's Progress, and it's been redone a couple of times. Uh, but John Bunyan said something that was fascinating in regards to the content in Galatians chapter 2, and that's this. He says, one of the great mysteries in the world is that a righteousness that resides, uh, excuse me, that resides with a person in heaven, he's speaking of Christ, should justify me, a sinner here on earth. It's a great mystery that we are justified by God. And we're going to talk about that today in Galatians chapter 2. If this is your first Sunday, you're coming in, you're like, wait, what happened in Galatians chapter 1? Well, let me catch you up to speed, all right? Uh, In Galatians, we have learned so far about a man, his name is Paul. He has also gone by Saul. He is an apostle who is sent on mission by God to plant churches. He persecuted the church and then all of a sudden, God met him, Jesus met him at the road to Damascus. He says, Paul, uh, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't have a good response. And so he says, uh, um, well, uh, I, I didn't think you were real. You were really the Messiah. And the resurrected Lord and Savior meets Saul and says, uh, I am. And he confesses his sin and believes in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now he's sent on a mission by God to plant churches all over modern day Turkey or what we know in the biblical text, Galatia. And in Galatia, there's Gentiles everywhere who are eagerly receiving the gospel that Paul is preaching. It is through faith in Christ that you are saved. It is for by grace that you have been saved through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't have to follow this legalistic uh, rigmarole to get to uh, God. God came to us in the form of a man. So they love it and they receive it. And like any legalistic believer, they are mad that people are coming to know uh, God through faith in Christ. And this group comes up, they're called the Judaizers, and they say, uh, you have to work for your salvation. All right? you, you don't understand the first five books of the Old Testament have all these laws and decrees by God. You need to work in order to be saved so that God would love you. And uh, so they're kind of like pushing this, and they're entertaining this idea, and they're essentially saying, maybe they're right. Have you ever been in that situation and circumstance? Or you heard somebody say something that was really good and you thought to yourself, maybe they're right. Or you read that post on social media and you think to yourself, maybe that's true. 
And it's like Jesus is behind you screaming in your ear like, it's false, it's fake, stop scrolling. And so here, what Paul's saying is he's saying, listen guys, you've got to understand that these people are off. And so he scolds these false disciples, these Judaizers that tried to entice them to come and do things that they don't need to do. And he even has rebuked Peter. We saw that uh, last week. He calls him a hypocrite. He uh, has him change and transform back to this grace-based faith. And so he says, listen, guys. He says, we cannot separate ourselves fearing those who were of the circumcision or legalistic party. And now um, he's going to get into something which is amazing because this is going to springboard us right into uh, Easter season, which is there's three beautiful truths about the gospel that come up. And it's amazing that we even have to preach these in today's church because we should know these things. But we need to be reminded of these things constantly because how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here and you're a man and you're thinking to yourself, we're going to talk about pretty things, you better believe it. Because men, you need some pretty things in your life. Because we're pretty filthy individuals. Amen? Okay, so we're going to kind of talk about this and break this open, and maybe God will do some work uh, on the inside. So, uh, Father, just pray for clarity today in preaching your truth. What an amazing passage of Scripture this is. Speak clearly through me now. Help uh, people receive this word, and may we be more than conquerors in your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up on the cross for us. May we not take this for granted. May the gospel of Jesus be at the forefront of our minds. May it be something uh, that we are so immersed with that we're not fearful of what the world throws at us. Help us to be bold as lions and yet seasoned with love for those who are uh, entrusted to our care. Uh, God, do a great work in the next few moments here at your church, uh, for you are the head. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 2. Never studied for a sermon as much as I have for this, so let's pray that it's uh, beneficial. Buckle up. 15, we, ourselves, and he's talking, and he says we, this is Paul speaking to Peter in context. We ourselves, Peter, are Jews. How do you become a Jew? Your mom's got to be a Jew, okay? So most of us not Jewish here today. We're Gentiles. He says, listen, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and Gentile sinners is a derogatory name that the Judaizers gave to people who are coming to Jesus Christ through faith. He says, yet, even though we are Jews, we know that a person is not justified by being a Jew or by being one who works of the law through faith in Christ, Peter, is how we have received the gospel. So we have believed, keyword there, in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. So the first thing that Paul says for us, the first truth that we need to get ingrained in our brains this morning is that the gospel shows us just how much of a sinner we really, truly are. We need to have this uh, come off of our lips in the morning when we look in the mirror that I am a fallen sinner. It is true. I know that's hard to hear. But Paul says, listen, uh, we, Jews by nature, we're among God's chosen people from Abraham, and that's in Genesis chapter 12. And we, again, Paul speaking, Paul and Peter, are not Gentile sinners, but we're just like them because we have fallen short of the glory of God. 
Now, in this text, there's three expressions that come up to understanding not only chapter 2, but also the rest of Galatians. Become a Bible scholar today here at Community Gospel Church. Number one, the first expression that we have to understanding Galatians 2 and the rest of the text is this key word, justification. What does it mean to be justified? To justify means to be declared righteous or make you right with God. Justification is when God declares those who receive Christ's righteousness are in turn righteous themselves. This is the doctrine of imputation. When God says that you who have received Christ in faith and His righteousness are in turn righteous yourself. Justification pronounces us righteous when we place our faith and trust in Christ's finished work on the cross. It is only through faith, it is only through trust that we see in Christ, God sees us as perfect and unblemished, and now we meet His standard for perfection, but it can only come through Jesus. Are you tired of working for your faith? Then stop. And Paul says justification is so big, it's throughout all scriptures, but look at Romans chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on your screen. Romans 5 verse 18, so uh, pivotal for us to understand. Adam's one sin, Adam and Eve, Genesis, brings condemnation for everybody. We are condemned in the eyes of God because all have fallen short of the glory of God, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And Paul is saying this to Peter because he's saying, Peter, I know it's hard to understand that these sinful Gentiles could come to know the living God, but they have. And it's a beautiful thing. Don't see it as a broken thing. It's a beautiful thing. It was what God had orchestrated from the beginning. Because of God's justification through faith and trust in Christ... Believers know their sin is forgiven, and now what happens? Stop wrestling. You can have, first of all, peace with God, knowing that He has made you righteous. Number two, in justification, He has assured us of our salvation. Stop thinking that you could lose it. How many of us got saved 45, 50 times when we were kids? I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to pray this prayer one more time and hopes that it sticks this time. We, one time, put our faith and trust in Christ. And then three, it allows God to start the process of sanctification. God cannot set you apart unless you have been justified by Christ's righteousness. Sanctification is where God makes us in reality what we already are positionally. Sanctification is where God makes us in reality what we already are positionally. Have you been justified? by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Or are, second expression, still working uh, of the law? Paul wrote similar words in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. What are works of the law? Well, words of the law are any actions performed to fulfill Mosaic law, which is those first five books of the Bible. These laws are tangible things like keeping the Sabbath, circumcision, eating clean foods, etc., etc., so on and so forth. How are you doing in those things? How are you doing in keeping the Sabbath? 
That makes us uncomfortable. Well, let's keep going. Let's, keep, let's, keep, let's get more uncomfortable. How about moral actions like don't murder or think about murdering somebody? We're all good at not murdering, but I think we've thought about killing a couple people. Don't commit adultery. We're just going to leave that one there. Don't steal. Don't think about stealing, right? All of those things that are in there. And all of these actions, while they're good, what Paul is saying to Peter is none of those things can justify us in the eyes of God. We all fall short. James 2.10 says, anyone who offends just one point of the law is guilty of breaking the whole law. And when we all started in our Bible reading plans at the first of the year, we got to like Exodus, Numbers, some of us got to Deuteronomy, and we thought to ourselves, I can't even read the law, right? More or less keep the law. And God's like, that's good because I gave it to you to show two things. Number one, just how sinful you really truly are. I gave you the Bible just to show you how fallen you really truly are. But also I gave you the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Promise from God to show you just how holy I am. I keep all of the things perfect that you mess up. If you were to take one of the fourth and fifth graders that just walked away so we can talk about them since they're gone, And we look at them and we say, okay, we're going to draw point A at the top of a piece of paper. We're going to draw point A at the bottom of a piece of paper. And I want you to connect those two lines. And they go ahead and they do it. What we do is we take out the ruler and we say, well, let's just see how much you've fallen short of the standard of perfection. All of them would have fallen short. That's what the law does. It's a straight edge that reveals the crookedness of man. Exposes our lack of holiness, but God's perfection. No one measures up to the standard of God's law. The law does not justify, it only condemns as no one stands before a holy God on his own efforts. So, Paul, what do we do? Glad you asked. Third expression. You believe and have faith and trust Christ. You believe and have faith in trusting Christ. If I know I'm a sinner needing to be justified from working for my salvation... The only remedy is to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And here's the thing. So many of us sitting here this morning say, I've done that. Yes, but we don't live that. Sure, you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You could have probably articulated everything that I just articulated to you. But your life and my life does not match up to the truth that we have in our minds. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, verse uh, chapter 3, which most of us know Romans 3, 23, But he says, listen, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And all God's people said, thank you, Jesus, that I do not live in the Old Testament. (laughs) As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter what you do for a living. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is if you have belief, faith, trust in Christ. There we are declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Any attempt to earn God's grace without justification is to ignore the sacrifices of Christ. When you sin, which you will, which you do, which I do, what happens? We are ignoring the faith and trust that we have and an almighty God who's given us the ability to be more than conquerors. And so here it says, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, actually verse 21, if you go down there a little bit, it says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, in other words, if you could work for God to be happy with you, Christ died for nothing. 
And so what Paul's ultimately saying is here, he's saying, knowing how much of a sinner I am makes Christ that much greater of a Savior. Knowing how much of a sinner that I am makes Christ and his work on the cross that much greater. It's the beauty of the gospel that no one is righteous, not, only, not, not one. But the amazing thing, it doesn't leave us there. It screams for us to be justified of our works through belief in Christ. And you know what's funny? We think about this and we go, what about the Old Testament? Did they know this? Did the people in the Old Testament, they understand this? Absolutely. In Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm a sinner. Can you humble yourselves, men, because we have problems with this, and say that I'm a sinner? Could you look at your spouse and say, I'm a sinner? Well, most of us would be like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. Okay, then can you change and be conformed to the image of Christ by dependence, continual dependence upon the gospel? That's where transformation begins. Now, verse 17, he says, okay, but if our endeavors, Peter, lovely Peter, I'm Peter, you're Peter, we're all Peter, we put our feet in our mouth and all this other stuff, we go eat with Jews because we think it's going to make us great, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Amen. So, here is a hypothetical question. Is Christ then a servant of sin? I love this passage of scripture. Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Well, what's he talking about there? Well, uh, I did all the hard work for you, so here's what he's saying. He's saying that the gospel shows us that we're dead to the law. Keep going with verse 19. For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God. Huh? What, what, are you, what are you saying here, Paul? Well, here's the hypothetical question. If God declares people righteous, sets us free, right? Then we get to go do whatever we want. Isn't that amazing? If God gave us Jesus and we just place our faith and trust in him, then everybody gets to go on sinning. What? Are we supposed to do? They just get to do whatever they want to do. Now, here's what's happening. People who are law-abiding citizens point at non-law-abiding citizens, and they're going, but they're breaking the law, right? But she said, but he said, suck it up, okay? You got to see yourself for who you really truly are. The Judaizers make this claim as though they're worried about Gentile believers. And what's the first fault? The first fault is their focus is not on Jesus. It's on what other people are doing. That's the problem. And so they're sitting here and they're still living in this standard, this morality, and they're saying, hey, if we're free in Christ, that's not fair. And Paul says, no, no, no. When I studied the law, when I went to Arabia, spent three years in the law, it killed me. It showed me my shortcomings in trying to fulfill the law. And then Christ came and he did for us what we could never do ourselves. Now, how are we dead to the law? How does this look? Like, what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, we have to put ourselves in the camp that we are like the Jews where we constantly try to work for God's favor. Just acknowledge that right now, that you do that. You work to earn God's favor. You do it in your relationships, whether that be your marriages or with your kids. You want them to think that you are quote-unquote cool. I do this with my kids all the time, and I fall short of it because I realize I'm never going to be cool in their eyes unless they want money. Then I'm real cool, all right? First thing. How are we dead to the law? Because Christ is not a servant of sin. If Christ died so believers could just sin freely, that would make him a promoter of sin. 
And if believers return to the law works after trusting Christ for salvation, then the law simply would show just how much more of a lawbreaker you really truly were. And so what Paul's saying here in first person with Peter in mind is he's saying, Peter, you withdrew from the Gentiles to eat with the Jews. You returned to the law. You and I both know it. We all do this. We have been saved by uh, grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden we go back to trying to work for our favor. And here's how I can prove it. Because you'll commit a sin, and then all of a sudden you'll say, well, if I do this good thing because of this bad thing, then surely God will level out those things. And God's like, listen, the scales are so tipped in in my favor that you're sinners that you don't even have to prove it anymore. You just do it like that. And so what he's saying is he's saying there's more sin in trying to find acceptance before God by our works or law-keeping than there is in our everyday sinful life as believers. So putting yourselves under the law again works again after salvation. It's like looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, that's good, but it isn't enough. Your work on the cross won't be good enough before God until I'm circumcised or eat kosher or watch the right Netflix episode or or subscribe to this or whatever the case is, right? It's as if God has built a beautiful bridge. And he said, I want you to walk on this. And you say, that's a really pretty bridge, but you should see the bridge that I can build, Right? That's exactly what is happening here. Paul is saying, listen, this is a huge insult and a great tragedy of working for our salvation is this. In trying to work to be right with God, we end up being less right with God. Are you tired? I mean, just, just like full transparency. Are you tired of working to try to earn your salvation? Even though maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I think if we just come to the end of ourselves and we just look at it and say, God, you know what? I... I I am, this, this, is, this is me guilty. I try every day to be right with you instead of give you acts of worship that you so rightfully deserve. So in trying to work to be right with God, we end up being less right with God. Christ is not a servant of sin. He is one that we serve because he has justified, sanctified us, and set us apart. Now, Number two, we don't live for ourselves. If I know just how dead I am to works, Christ is the one who frees me from works. But then number two, I don't live for myself anymore. So Paul says, I'm dead to the law. The law killed him. And what that means is it showed him how perfect God was and he could never line up to that perfection or fulfill its holy standard. So before Paul thought God would accept him, but instead justice came as he saw just how guilty he was before God. This is conviction and condemnation that is coming into his life. And Paul's saying, listen, it killed me because I saw how really, truly holy God was and how unholy I was and I was in need of a savior. I need something else to save me. And so uh, John Calvin, I think, just says it so well. He says to die to the law is to renounce it and to be freed from its dominion. So church, can you please do me a favor? And can we please just look to the Lord today and say, God, I renounce works-based salvation so that I have no confidence in it. It would be not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and it does not hold me captive under the yoke of slavery. What is the thing that trips you up, that entices you, that you constantly find yourself stepping in, 
What is the one thing that always happens that you're always trying to work for? It's like the little kid who gets a puppy and he loves the puppy so much he holds on to him and he pets him like this, right? And all of a sudden you're like, you're killing the puppy. But I love him so much, right? Yeah, well, love him from a distance. And that's what, that's what we're doing with God. We say, God, I love you so much. I love to work for you. I love for you to work for you. I, I, I want to work for you. And he says, your arms are closed to what I have in store for you. If you would open them and let things go, then I could do a good work and good service. If you would just explain to me what is going on. If you would open your heart to me. If you would, if you would communicate with me. I think God looks at his people all the time. He says, we haven't talked in years and you trusted me decades ago. Right? He's saying, just release it, man. Just open it up. Just say, God, I'm working all the time for my salvation. I need more and more grace. And he says, grace, grace, more grace in abundance. He dumps it over your head like the ice bucket challenge. And it's awesome. Are we dead to the law and works? Or, and I know so many of you have trusted Christ for salvation, but let me just ask you a question. Are you still working to be made right in the eyes of God? That's what Paul's saying to Peter. Just be submissive and watch the worship flow. Stop trying so hard and understand that your actions are going to be worshipful when you're 100% surrendered. See, the problem with living outside the gospel is we think work saves us or makes us righteous before God, but a works-based religion keeps the belief alive that doing the right thing, being moral, makes us accepted by God. And that's false. Stop working, find rest, See how obedience comes when a life is lived in adoration to God instead of working to God. If we would live more in adoration, see people more of being uh, redeemed by the Lord, right? They're not obstacles. People are not obstacles to get what I want from God. People are opportunities to show God's grace in our everyday life. Okay, and he closes with this. Verse 20. Peter, Peter, sorry, pumpkin eater, sorry. Um, I had to finish it. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. I love this. Listen to Paul's passion just pouring out. He's talking to Peter here. He's talking to the church here. He says, Peter, you and I, we've been crucified with Christ. Stop treating people that way. Stop being harsh. Stop abusing people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop being legalistic. Stop working. Stop hating people because they, are, they can't do what you can't do. I've been crucified with Christ. So have you. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He's saying, Peter, I got to the end of myself. Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. But when I end, Christ begins. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You need to read that passage again. The life I now live in the flesh, here on this earth, I live by faith in the Son of God. God, I cannot work any harder than I'm working right now. But you love me and you gave yourself up for me. And so don't nullify the grace of God, verse 21, for if righteousness were through the law works, then Christ died for no purpose. What's he saying here? Ultimately, he's saying, we have to declare ourselves crucified with Christ in all things. I cannot love my wife properly unless I admit that I have been crucified with Christ. 
I cannot love my kids the way they need to be loved unless they see that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and I am crucified with Christ. I cannot be a, a pastor of this church without being crucified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who work, but it's God who works through me. That is surrender. And Paul is saying into his defense, he says, listen, uh, since we died with Christ on the cross, faith and trust, we now have a different life. Why are we going back to our old lives? Why did we dig up our old lives and put them back on? Our old life lived under the law is dead, and now we're alive to Christ, we're obedient to Christ. Well, how does Christ live in me? Pastor Jordan, help me. How does this look in my everyday life? Well, uh, that's what I'm here for, Okay. Number one, you have to wake up every single morning, every single morning, every single day, and make the great exchange. Every single day, I wake up and I say, God, there's a great exchange that happened when I trusted in you. I need that great exchange to continue in the endeavors that I have today. Paul realized on the cross, a great exchange occurred. Do you? Have you? Paul says, I gave Jesus all of my old works-based lives to be crucified on a cross, and Jesus, in turn, gave me a new life. And through this great exchange, Paul's life wasn't his own anymore. And here's the problem with American Christianity. Ready? We think that the life we live after we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is still ours. It's not mine anymore. I'm just a manager. We look at it all the time, we say, well, God, here's what I'm going to do today. Right? It's my to-do list. And you're thinking to yourself, well, Jordan, I've got to go to work. <laughs> of course, you have to go to work. You have to do those things, but is it work or is it a mission field that God has entrusted to your care? That's a perspective change. There's a great exchange that happened. It used to be work, now it's worship. But God, I, I can't leave my wife. I love her, right? Well, now it's no longer just making her happy, it's helping to make her holy. Well, God, I can't leave my kids. Great exchange has happened. They're no longer your kids. They're entrusted to your care so that they would see Christ in you. This is the great exchange that happens daily. John Piper says about the great exchange, it's the good news of the gospel, that our sins are laid on the cross. His righteousness is laid on us. And this is the great exchange that becomes ours, not by works alone. Here is the good news, that it lifts burdens and it gives joy and strength. So if I look at my wife and I say, hey, uh, I want to love you like Christ loves the church. I have to look at her also and say, I cannot do that on my own accord, but through Christ, I can. If I'm dependent upon Jesus, we'll succeed. You look at your employer tomorrow and go in and say, hey, I'm going to fall short all the time on this job, but with Jesus, I'm going to be successful and I'm going to strive with excellence so that you would see how great God is. I want you to see the joy in my life and, and how he's made me strong. Now, how do I do that? Well, faith. Sometimes in the Bible, it's so simple. It's right in front of your face, right? You can't live a new life Jesus gives on the foundation of works. And we always return to it. You can only live it by faith. How am I going to be a good husband and father? I've got to trust that it is possible i got to walk across that bridge. John 3, 6, it says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. Flesh here means the whole nature of man, not one justified by works of the law. The focus of the verse isn't flesh, though. It's faith. 
love the old commentator. He says, faith is not simply a topic about which Paul preached from time to time. He says, nor is it a virtue which he practiced occasionally. It is central in all he does. I believe that through faith, I can love you the way that Christ loves you. I believe that through faith, we can raise these kids together. I believe that through faith, you and I are going to make it. How many things am I trusting in faith? Here's, here's what I did. I mean, I was studying for this, for this sermon. So, so come into my world a little bit. I did a little self-assessment. And I woke up every single day and I said, okay, God, I'm going to make a list of how many things you have control of and how many things I have control of. I got to about 10 o'clock in the morning and I wake up at about 4 and I realized that my list is a whole lot bigger than God's list. And I immediately just said, I'm sorry. Because here's what's happening. I'm working because I'm thinking to myself, God, you're going to be so glorified with what I'm about to do. And he's looking at me and he's saying, where are you trusting me? Where are you putting your faith in me? It's good that we make plans, but you've got to put God in your plans and let him frustrate them. Faith must be in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Faith is not lived in ourselves, in the law, or in what we can earn or deserve before God. It's faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself up for me where I end, Christ begins. And that is faith. That is trust. And all of this is for God's grace and his purpose. The Jewish believers required for themselves and all others to live under the law of Moses in order to be right with God. And Paul's already extinguished that. They set aside God's grace and Paul moves it to the forefront and he says, listen, if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. Now, if you study this passage in context, uh, Matthew 26 is going to come up. That's Jesus' prayer in the garden when he prays. And he asks if there's any other way that he could accomplish what needs to be accomplished than go to the cross. And I love when Jesus prays in the garden. You want to know why? Because he's so sincere. I mean, it's just, uh, that's one-on-one, that's us. Like, if there's any other way, God, uh, let's, let's go plan B. C, D, E, F, whichever one. And he realizes right there, he's like, nope, I can't be spared. There's no other way to accomplish it, and so let's go forward. And as Christ goes forward, I think we forget all the time that that was for you. And that God has given you grace. And the question is, have we received it? And I think many of us in our church have. I think many of you listening online have trusted Jesus Christ in faith. You would say, yes, he is the Messiah, he's the Redeemer, but we've lost the grace-based life in the daily endeavors. And I think that's where we fall short because grace doesn't just help, it does everything. I think we're looking at grace and we're saying, you're a supplement and grace is really the reality. It's all of it. Grace is from God. Uh, Martin Luther, if my salvation was so different, or difficult, excuse me, to accomplish that it necessitated the death of the cross, then all my work, all the righteousness of the law are good for nothing. How can I buy, and I love his, his, his end quote, how could I buy a penny, or how could I buy for a penny what costs a million dollars? And that's what I do with God when I say, I'm gonna work for this. Here, Lord, here is, here, is, here is a little monetary offering to you. And he says, that's garbage. He says, you just got to trust that my account is always open. And you have to come to me through faith. So we praise the Lord. We get to the end of this passage. We praise him that we can trust him and that we can 
use this uh, as ammunition to face the day, right? So tomorrow is going to be hard. This afternoon is going to be hard because here's what's going to happen, right? You're going to get done with the sermon. You're going to walk out those doors and you're going to look over and you're going to see the bride of your youth or the husband who you love. And you're going to say to yourself, oh, Lord, help me love him. Oh, God, help me love her. That's faith and trust. You're going to hear the kids in the back. Where are we eating today? Why does it feel like, like uh, 10 o'clock? And you're going to say, God, you've entrusted these beautiful children to my care. Help me to love them well, right? You're going to go to work tomorrow. And you're going to see your employer. And you're going to look at him and you're going to think to yourself, oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin, how am I supposed to love Kevin? And those are the people that God has put in our path to share the gospel with, but at the same time to build up. And it is in those moments, whether it's with our spouse or our kids or our job or wherever God puts us and places us, that's where we are at the end of ourselves. And we say, Jesus, you take the reins. You do the heavy lifting. You do the work. I'll just be the avenue in which you walk. Now notice, all of this comes about because Paul is willing to do the right thing in confronting Peter. He does the godly thing. The standard of integrity is to be men and women of who you are in the dark in the day and vice versa. And while it's uncomfortable, there's obedience. And I don't want us to miss obedience. Paul, it, it, Peter will eventually admit he's wrong and he will repent and him and Paul will both sacrifice comfort for truth. And that's what we want to do today and we need to pray for. So God, help us to sacrifice comfort for truth. We look at what Paul has outlined in Galatians and we know that we're sinners. And maybe there's people here today who have no idea that they're a sinner. Well, let me just uh, drop that bombshell on you. You're a sinner. You've fallen short of the standard of glory of God. And we need to be reminded of that because where we're reminded of our sin, grace comes in abundance. And God, I confess that I have worked to become right in your eyes. And I'm sorry. I've worked so hard to, to, to want you to be proud of me. God, I want you to, to say that, that you love me. And, and, and what, what I'm realizing is you've loved me the whole time. You've loved us the whole time. You loved your church the whole time. God, forgive us as, as a body of believers who think that our little finite efforts and works makes us right with you because we're not right with you. The only way we're right with you is when we confess that we're sinners, repent of our sin, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then live in adoration, and, and we worship you. So God, remove our works and replace it with worship. When we pray, hear our heart in, in, in worship. When we Work, may it be worship. When we love our spouse and our neighbors and the people who come in our past, may it be worship. Remove the filth that has come out of our mouth and the filth that we've let our eyes see and our ears hear. And let us replace it with worship. Help us, God, to be men and women 
who are immersed in your word so that we can see the inconsistencies of our society that's in front of us and we can reveal to them like Paul did and show them just how much we have fallen short but through grace and mercy and faith and trust there is fruit there is fruit to be found God help us to wake up every day and say I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me help us to be more than conquerors And you, help us to realize that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God, we ask that you would help us to love you and to serve you in all that we think, say, and do. May everything be an act of worship to you and not an act of works to elevate ourselves. Keep us cemented and grounded on the gospel. For it is there that you live. It is for there we find life. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.